Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the EMILY program where we put it all together for you. Piecemeal discusses topics related to eating disorders, body image issues, and how society may contribute to distorted thinking. Please keep in mind that we may discuss difficult topics and we ask that you use your own discretion when listening or that you speak with a therapist as needed. I'm your host, Jillian Lampert, and in today's episode, we're discussing eating disorder advocacy with a very special guest, a powerhouse of an activist and a dear friend of mine, Kitty Weston. Kitty has been a leading advocate for eating disorders for 20 years. On a national and international platform, she's made it her life mission to improve access to treatment and educate clinicians, legislators, and the public on eating disorders. She began her advocacy work when her daughter, Anna Weston, died following a five-year struggle with anorexia. In the two decades since Anna's death, Kitty has been a tireless advocate. Among many, many other things, she established the Anna Weston Foundation, which is a nonprofit that merged with another eating disorder nonprofit and is now known as Withall. She created the Anna Weston House, which is the first residential treatment facility for eating disorders in Minnesota. She's been president and a long-term board member of the Washington, D.C.-based Eating Disorders Coalition for Research, Policy, and Action, and she's served on numerous other boards and councils. Through that journey, which we will talk about today, one of the uh, pretty cool things we did was we, uh, we passed a bill. <laughs> we passed a bill in 2016, the first ever federal eating disorder legislation called the Anna Weston Act was passed as part of the 21st Century Cures Act. In December 2016, Kitty was in the room, in the room where it happened, as President Obama signed it into law. Immediately after the signing, Kitty was able to meet the president and tell him about Anna. Kitty, we're thrilled to have you with us today. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. So let's start by talking a little bit about Anna. So Anna's the namesake for the three residential treatment programs here in Minnesota, the three Anna Weston houses. She was the namesake for, this, for the Anna Weston Foundation, the nonprofit Eating Disorder Prevention and Recovery Foundation, and of course, the very first law specifically designed for people with eating disorders. Can you tell us about the woman behind that name? Yes, I can. Um, I think I have to start with this, though. Um, Anna died 20 years ago on February 17th, and this is a really hard time for me. And in this 20-year marker, I almost hate to say anniversary because sometimes anniversary it conjures up celebrations and things that are really um, happy events, and certainly Anna's death was, was the biggest tragedy that I will ever experience. And yet, having said that, as I've been really thinking about this 20th anniversary, and, and part of the reason I'm thinking about it is, is Jillian asking me and recognizing when I was invited to participate in this podcast that it is the 20th anniversary and are we going to talk about that? And I was like, huh, I, I don't know. Are we going to talk about that? Um, and I, since I've really, truly given it quite a bit of thought. And, and recognize that it really is a time to celebrate. And it's time to celebrate Anna, who, now to get to your question, was this really incredible um, person, human being. And she, from the day she was born, we knew that there was something really special about her. Um, a little bit of history, our older son has uh, severe disabilities. And we did not intend to ever have more children. And I was really nervous throughout my pregnancy and wondered if, I, if, if we were doing the right thing, bringing another person into this world, because it was a struggle. Um, and then the moment I met Anna, 
it, it just everything, all that, all that anxiety, everything just washed away. And I realized I had this, 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 this amazing, perfect little person that, that I had the privilege of um, being given and being able to raise. And, and, and really, talking about her today, um, we were a pretty typical family. And we raised her like I think all we all strive to raise our our, our children with lots of love and lots of acceptance and 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 lots of parenting and discipline and all those things that we give our children. Um, what I didn't bargain for was that she would develop this mental illness when she was quite young. And and even with this one mental illness, she was this incredibly um, beautiful on the inside person and a giving person and a loving person and somebody that probably had more compassion for other people than I've ever had in my, my lifetime. And it, it was real apparent from when she was really young. Um, she was always a leader in her, in her classes and in the group she was in. Um, and she was always just really generous with her time and her love and, and, and just a little illustration of what she was like. People, can, they still have letters and cards that, that she would send to people that were beautifully decorated and had such affirming, loving messages. So that's who Anna was. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. So when Anna's illness, when you became aware of Anna's illness, as it developed and worsened, how, how did you understand it then? I mean, that was a, a while ago, and, and hopefully we know some more things about these illnesses now. But how did you understand it then? I didn't. How would I have understood yeah. it? I yeah. and I'm a psychologist, <laughs> right? And that and and I think about that now and think I went through school. I was trained to become a licensed psychologist, and I probably had half an hour where we skimmed over eating disorders in a general psych textbook, and um, so I was wholly unprepared for mm -hmm. this and. What I did know is when I started seeing some symptoms, both physical and mental, I did recognize that something was happening, but I didn't know what it was, and I certainly didn't know what to do with it. And when I started looking around and trying to find ways to help me understand this, um, there really wasn't anything available. Um, and when I... I don't even, I, I truly don't even remember how I found uh, eating disorder specific program, mm -hmm. um, probably by just asking people and calling. Right, and, before the internet. And being, being you Google it. It was, it was <laughs> yeah. way before, it, yeah. it really was. Mm -hmm. and, and that was quite challenging mm -hmm. um, because where do you get information um, at that time? Especially when physicians weren't trained, when school counselors weren't trained, when you know it just it, it wasn't readily available, um, but we were able to find. And, and Minnesota, even at that time, 20 years ago or 25 years ago, had specific eating disorder treatment. And so we were lucky in that sense that we were able to get her into a treatment program. And 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 I think she got some good treatment. And the family, the carers, we were really neglected and, and sometimes treated pretty poorly. And um, I was made to feel like I was part of the problem or maybe the problem on oh. more than one occasion. Yeah. And That's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. However, knowing me, um, 
when that happened, I, I really, I mean, it was a dietitian sitting in the office and having that person tell me that I needed to back off and, and I needed to stop trying to control and I needed to quit being the diet police, I think they called it, or food police. Um, and I remember even at the time looking at her and saying, are you kidding me? My daughter's dying and she's got this illness and food is her medicine and, and we need to get on top of this and stop telling me what not to do. Give me some idea because I really want to help. I don't want to be in the way here. So tell me what to do. Right. And, and, and that was really helpful. I mean, it started this new dialogue and, and a way to, 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 I think, talk about this. Good. Yeah. That's, it's an it's a all-too-common story. You know, I think, Jillian, too, though, um, I took a lot of that on myself, too, because mm-hmm. I was blaming myself. Mm-hmm. And since then, I've learned that I did not cause anazine disorder. At that time, of course, I tried to find what I had done wrong or what my husband and I had done wrong or what what we could have done differently. Right. Um, so while I, I put some blame on, I think we were all in that same um, boat that we just didn't know what to you do. just didn't know. Yeah, yeah. How about now when you think you know we're, we're much farther down the road, the field has evolved, we know things about genetics and neurobiology and better treatments. Anything that you think about now as you look back, sort of taking today's lens and looking back at that, that makes sense to you in the research, or you're like, oh, that's why that happened, or boy, that makes so much more sense now that I have this information. Any of those? Everything. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, honestly, honestly, with the with the advancements in the last um, 20 years, it it the, the everything has changed. It's been a game changer to understand the genetics, to understand. Um, what roles every the different people play to to understand that they're biopsychosocial illnesses. So it it, it I, and I can't let myself go. I, I I don't let myself go down that, mm-hmm. Jillian, because I could really regret way too much. And and I try not to do that because it's not going to help. It's right. not. I can't bring Anna back, no right. matter how hard I try or how much I wish that that she could be here with me and we could be sitting side by side talking about this. That's impossible. There's no do-overs. And, and it doesn't do any good. And I think if any carers are listening to this, to, to help them be kind to themselves and recognize that, that we, we, none of us are perfect and we don't all know exactly how to react and how to respond and how to parent and how to do all those things, and we will make mistakes, it doesn't cause eating disorders. Right. And so just get that out of your little heads and don't go down that path because it doesn't help. What matters is what we do going forward. Right. And, and I've really worked hard over 20 years to, to, to keep myself on that path moving forward. And I will tell you right now that, well, Anna's death was the worst possible thing that could ever happen. And I would wish that on nobody, and I would give anything to have her back. And I have gratitude that Anna died because I can really point to so many changes and, and, and who I am and who people around me are and what's happened and all the positive things that have happened. And that's kind of how I can be sitting here across from you today and talking mm-hmm. about this because I've been able to do that. Yeah. 
Well, it's shaped certainly shaped my life, my professional career. I, I've known you since since then, or I, I met you because of that, and it's certainly shaped everything that I've done, and and so many people around the world. Tell us a little bit about you know when Anna died, you from somewhere found the strength to to turn this devastating loss into amazing action and advocacy that I'm I'm guessing you didn't have all planned out <laughs> at the time, uh, but you yeah. you did. How how did you, tell us about that time, in that moment, how did you find the strength to do that? What did you do? Um, I, you know, I think there are multiple factors that, that brought me to being able to move out of the, the horror of her death, because it was really tempting to give up. And it was really tempting to crawl in a corner and lick my wounds and just everybody leave me alone. I can't do this. Um, I had a mother who was probably the most loving, caring, compassionate, accepting woman that I've ever met. She was a lot like Anna. And um, so I learned from her that it really wouldn't do me or my family or anybody any good to give up. And so that gave me some strength. Having a loving community around me gave me a lot of strength in our family. And we talk about that to this day, that we had family and friends and community and strangers that embraced us and lifted us up when we weren't able to lift ourselves up. Um, for some reason, and I've talked to other people that this has happened, the days that I felt like I couldn't move, I couldn't, I, 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 I couldn't get dressed, I couldn't eat, I couldn't get out of bed. My husband Mark would have a bit better day, mm -hmm. and 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 he would shore me up. And then the next day, when he had one of those days, somehow I was able to shore. So that's that strength in mm -hmm. that relationship. Yeah. And then I really have to give credit to Anna and and being kind of a psychologist and sort of a scientist-based person, that was really hard for me at first, but I just had to accept that Anna's got a really strong presence in my life, and she did from the moment she died, and she really had, at that time, directed what we were going to do with her death, and she really communicated in no uncertain terms, I want you to talk about this. And I don't want you to keep any secrets. And I want you to be really, really, really angry at the eating disorder and not to blame anybody else. And to do whatever you can to be, basically to be her voice. And she actually had written that in a, um, a journal. Um, and and to, to, to take that experience and to try to find a way to do something positive. And Jillian, you know me well enough, and we've talked about this often enough, that it still happens to this day. Right. And this last few weeks with you and multiple other people talking to me about this, you know, tells me again that, that, that Anna is, still has a strong spirit and, and wants us to do something positive with this and wanted us to make something good happen from this horror of her death. How we found the strength to do it, that's, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I cannot answer that question. Um, it, it's somehow you do. Yeah. You, you, we didn't have a choice. Nobody asked us if we wanted this to happen. 
and and so our choice was are we going to get up and put one foot in front of the other and try to survive and and lots of days were like that mm -hmm. and still some days are like that yeah um and but the human spirit is pretty strong yeah that's true and buoyed by other human spirits that yeah are, yeah are with yeah us. you can't do this alone no absolutely and nobody not. should have to do it alone right right what do you t tell us a little bit about the you know through that haze? I, I I know that at some point you decided that going to Washington was a good idea. <laughs> tell us about how how did how did that happen? How did that happen? <laughs> you and you said something earlier that you're absolutely right. I had I had no idea my life was going to go on this trajectory. I if if you had asked me 30 years ago when I was you know. I, what my life was going to be like when I was in my late 60s, it would never have been this. And um, so stuff happens, and, and you figure out how to do it. Um, so the advocacy piece came to me by listening to public radio and hearing Senator Paul Wellstone talking about mental health parity. And it dawned on me that, huh, Okay, my daughter had was she was, no she had recently died, and one of the issues was her lack of access to the level of care she needed. Mm -hmm. And everybody knew it at the time. We didn't know what to do with it. We did what we could to get insurance to cover the cost of her care. Right. Um, so it wasn't what, that we didn't recognize it. We just didn't have much recourse. And when I started hearing about mental health parity, and what the concept was. I realized that, okay, maybe I need to talk to Senator Paul Wellstone. And like I, you do. I need to talk to Senator Paul Wellstone. <laughs> well, and I, so I called his office and, and I and I ended up talking to one of his um, one of his assistants and and then that night I get a phone call and it's hello Kitty, this is Senator Paul Wellstone and I'm like, Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but it was. And That's we amazing. became great friends. And he's the one that encouraged me. He said, We need to take these stories to Washington DC. They people the policymakers listen to personal stories. It has a huge impact. So what I want you to do, Kitty, is bring and at the time we don't use this language as much anymore, <laughs> but bring a group of angry moms to Washington to tell their stories. And I said, okay. Had no idea how I was going to do it. And and just took it on and, and then built on that. Mm -hmm. And um, got connected with other people that had the same idea at around the same time. Right. Which, again, is pretty interesting that there was like a group of six people that were talking about it and forming an organization called the Eating Disorders Coalition. I think when I first, the first meeting, we didn't even have a name. <laughs> but it was people that cared about this and realized that what we needed to do to change it for everybody was to change public policy. And that we can all, we're all in our lanes and we're all working for something and we're all changing one person at a time. And that's really important. And that's really good to do. And we all have to keep doing that. But we also had to do something for the greater good and to make it happen for more people faster. And I was, I was just talking to somebody this morning about that. Um, it happens to be somebody that's on the withal board that also has had an experience with a um, daughter with an eating disorder. And, and we were talking about the advocacy pieces and how we as carers, as family members, are really impatient. 
we can't wait for somebody else to do this. We can't, we don't have that luxury. We've got to get this done and we've got to get it done sooner rather than later. It's a long process. <laughs> Nothing happens fast, but th that's how I, that, that's how I did it. And then I just learned it along the way. I, I've just been this dogged advocate, <laughs> so laser focused. And if, one thing that people describe me as really tenacious. I mean, I, I don't give up. Um, and it's true, you don't. <laughs> I know that to be very true. Yeah. And it's resulted in, in so many different things. So the, so the Eating Disorders Coalition, now we're in either 2000, 2001. Uh, there's a group of people thinking we need to do this something on the Hill. Uh, the EDC is born. And then... A lot of things happen over the ensuing years, trying to influence legislation, try to influence policy, try to get voices to Washington. When you think of, of all the things that, that you've done with the EDC, we've, we've walked the halls of Congress. Uh, I think few have walked them more than, than you. I love the story where somebody thought you were a member because you were there all the time, <laughs> meaning like you were a congressperson. And, uh, and uh, that's a, it's a great story. You're here all the time. You must work here. Uh, that that of all those times you've spent on the Hill and all of the years, what things stand out to you? What moments stand out to you as that made a difference? Maybe it wasn't everything. It wasn't didn't change the whole game. But each of those moments changes the game a little bit and makes it better. What moments, couple moments can you think of? There's lots of those moments. And there's also, like you said, lots of times that we walked those halls and sat down and talked to people and felt like we were not getting anywhere. And I will argue that we were getting somewhere, even doing that. So I think some of the most powerful moments early on, the first advocacy day we had, and Paul Wellstone showed up. And he talked to this, I don't even remember how many people, might have been 25 people, that might be pushing it, um, about the how important it was that we were there and watching the faces of this, this group of people that came from around the country and um, mostly came because they heard about us somehow or I called them because they had contacted me at some time and said, well, if you want to do something about it, show up. We're going to be there. And seeing that spark of somebody's listening, the, somebody cares about this issue, and that gave hope. And so for me, the advocacy days that we did then at least twice a year, sometimes more often, depending on what we're working on, and, and watching the groups come together and watching these folks that for lots of different reasons showed up, people that um, had eating disorders, had recovered from eating disorders, family and friends with eating disorders, professionals working in the field, professionals working on prevention, researchers, you know, getting these groups that together, all on the same plane, all working for the same thing, and watching that development of, of them being in a room with fellow advocates, realizing that their voice is important, and that they are making a difference by being there and sharing. I think the other biggest things that always strike me, and it still does, is being in a office with our advocates and um, the staff person that we're talking to or the member themselves that we're talking to, and it's time to close the meeting. We're all saying goodbye. Everybody gets up and leave, and the person we're meeting with taps me on the shoulder and said, can you just hold back for a moment? 
And of course, um, everybody files out and I hear their story. Mm -hmm. And how many times has that happened? I yeah. can't even tell you. Yeah. And it happens to all the other yep. leaders as mm -hmm. well. That everybody has this story and that by us telling our stories, we've given them permission, maybe for the first time in their lives, yeah. to tell their story. And, and some of them would say, but I can't tell this publicly and you can't tell it publicly. And, and a little bit judgmental sometimes. It's like, why not? We can do this. <laughs> but I would always understand that because I know. I get that. And and I would say, is there other ways we can talk about this and, you know, use your story to help us move this forward? And they'd always come up with something. Yes. So I know the person that's the head of this committee. So I'm going to introduce you to this person. And so that was just an incredible experience mm -hmm. um, that happened all the time all the time and I think the other the, certainly the biggest thing is when we introduced the Anna Weston Act which had several renditions before the Anna Weston Act and as anybody that knows policy it takes a while to get to something that is actually viable and that's going to move and um, luckily we had some some really amazing friends on the hill including Amy Klobuchar took on this this issue um, way back when she was first elected and and vowed to work with us on whatever we were doing to um, move eating disorder legislation. And so she was a huge reason why the Anna Weston Act um, passed. You know, she was the one that, that got it into the 21st Century Cures Act. She was the one that I would talk to Sarah every single day. <laughs> is it still in? Is the language still in? Yes, Kitty, the language is still in. We're going to make sure it happens. Um, and, and you need those. You need those friends. And then sitting in the, especially the, the Senate chamber, and they're voting, and sitting in, and, and actually separated from my people because <laughs> right. I came in late because I had been with Amy all morning. And they're across from me, and so I'm sitting with just one staff person from the EDC and, and watching this unfold, and the, the senators are walking in, and they're mingling and talking, and, and Amy's pointing me out, and I'm waving at people and getting yelled at by the security because you can't move when you're in the chamber. Um, and, and, and watching the, the, the yes votes, and there's one after another, and there's people that we never thought would vote for this bill voting yes and I'm just like becoming actually uncharacteristically calmer and calmer as that's happening my 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 anxiety levels just you know going way way down and I'm beginning to feel literally a weight being lifted not that I took this on myself and not that I had any more to do with getting that passed than you or all the other people that worked on it I do not give myself credit for that, but I think I took it on my shoulders because of Anna. And, and, and at the end of the day, when the clerk announces the, the um, A and nay votes, and it was 94 to 5, I, I was stunned. I was like, what just happened? Knowing how historic mm -hmm. History it just was. happened. And, and recognizing the, the power of that. And then that gratitude to all the people that made that happen. And Anna, number one, because she pushed me. And then everybody else 
that 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 really and 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 a few days later being in the White House and meeting President Obama, which was the coolest thing ever, that moment in the Senate chamber was the pinnacle. Mm -hmm. It was an amazing day that I was across from you in the in the Senate gallery so I could see you. And we were all as you as you got calmer, we got more exuberant and more excited and more realizing it was really going to happen and yeah. wondering how you were doing way across there. And then when they announced it, and Amy turned around and pointed at you. It was, I think we made the unsanctioned noise and got, <laughs> almost got in trouble too. Yeah. Kitty, Kitty made more noise, so they paid attention to her. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. It was an incredible day to see that happen. And we had been at the House vote, and we watched the House pass it, and, and then knowing the Senate had to pass it. And just watching those votes roll in one yes vote after another, yeah. it's just incredible. There's something about that. It was something, something about that. It was amazing. Um, the other really just that happened just a couple of days later. So I really wanted to be in the room when the president signed the bill into law because mm. um, I knew how important that was. And it just felt like it would be uh, the pinnacle of my career to be sitting in that room. But that was the hottest ticket in town. And so there was no tickets available. And I was certain there was no way I was going to be in the room when that happened. And But I had asked some people, and you know, including Amy Klobuchar, if she could get me a ticket. And, and I don't know if you ever heard the story how I got the ticket. I don't know. OK, this is a good one. So do you remember that, um, I don't know, maybe a few months earlier, we had a meeting in the White House. Mm -hmm. And the White House staff that put it together was a woman mm -hmm. who cares deeply about this issue. And um, the policy director at the Eden Sears Coalition, Katrina, called her and asked if there was any tickets. And she got me a ticket. That's so cool. She got me into that yeah. room. Yeah, um, that was, it's, she was so yes. moved in yes. that White House meeting. There we are in the White House, 20 of us in this giant room full of so much history and watching the staffers the the, yes. the white house staff and the agency staff be so moved right. by the story and have anna's picture in right. front of them yes, yes. that you brought yes and then how many of them as we finished our presentations they told their stories right and so again we gave people permission to be authentic and to recognize that these aren't things that we need to hide there's nothing shameful about having an eating disorder or any mental illness mm -hmm there's real value in telling these stories and and it takes courage um to do that but but that really opened the doors and then i'm i'm sure amy helped to, right. to get me in that room and and getting me sitting right in front of the president and right so tell us a little bit about the the meeting president obama which we all got to watch on on the the, the camera how was that what was that like well, one of the first things was I'm on my phone and Jillian is texting me, go go forward, move a little bit this way, move a little bit that way. She's directing me. Get closer. <laughs> Get closer. See that purse? Go sit by that purse. Yes, yes. It was just like, oh, my gosh. Um, but I remember, so we, we get into the room. It's quite a process to get in there. It's packed. It's, it's almost mostly press. I mean, mm -hmm. there's just like I don't know how many press people. And there's no seats. And I was standing there and I was talking to Amy and – and they're going to start the program, and so everybody's got to sit down. I have no place to sit. So I just sit down on the steps, and it's right behind the press. And so I think they thought I was press. I think I probably <laughs> would have been. I kept waiting for somebody to say, you can't sit there. Yeah. But nobody did that, and so I just sat there the whole time. And, and literally, I had Julian texting me, you know, because <laughs> I, I couldn't really see what was going on because right. I'm sitting behind people on the floor. Um, and then 
when the when the program it, it was amazing it was amazing hearing the 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 family member that came and talked about their their part and the impact that this this um, 21st Century Cures Act would have on, on on people with addictions and people with mental illness and people that wanted to do research. I mean, it was just this incredible program. And the senators who had worked on it, Republicans and Democrats, and um, and the the members of the House that had worked so hard on it. And it was it was quite amazing. And then um, to hear uh, President Obama his remarks and. And this is so heartfelt and so genuine and so real and knowing, and I think he even said that this was one of the most important bills that he signed in his career as president of the United States and how amazing that is, yeah. that something that really affects well, millions of people, but oftentimes in ways that people, you know, they want to ignore it and want to pretend it's not real. Um, and then... So the program's over, and everybody's standing up and clapping, and and I'm behind this wall of press, and I don't I don't know if I was looking at my phone at that point. I, I probably wasn't because I was I was so excited. Other things were happening. So like, yeah, <laughs> it was just so like I can't believe this just really happened. And so I'm standing there, and then all of a sudden, sort of these people move away, and President Obama's in front of me. He's just standing there. And so I think I moved up a couple steps, and, and at that point, some people said the Secret Service just was descending on me. They thought they, you know, that they were going <laughs> to tackle me or something. Um, but that he just, you know, he stopped. And I'll never forget him just looking at me intensely, focused. There was nobody else at that in that room for those, I don't know how long it was, 30 seconds. I mean, it was a long time. Mm -hmm. And and I'd had kind of my idea, well, if I get to meet him, I'm going to say this. That was gone. It, it just it, it wasn't there. And I just remember he gave me a hug. I told him that I was here because of my daughter, Anna, who died from an eating disorder. And just he embraced me immediately and then listened while I talked a little bit about Anna and, and thanked him for signing a bill that would literally help millions and millions of people. And then the moment was over, and he walked out. And luckily, there's photos of <laughs> right. it. It's great photos of it. It's a, uh -huh. great, it's, it's a great picture. And and I think that the significance, part of that significance for me, Jillian, was um, I had a grandbaby that was due in April, my first grandchild. And I had been doing that work for, at that time, it was 16, 17 years. Um, and I felt like it was time for me to start backing off. And, and that in that room, what what was really apparent to me is that, yeah, I, I kind of have done my part, not that we're done, mm -hmm. and not that I won't still do, because of course I, I will and I am, but that, that I could really, without any kind of reservations or regret, back away and, and let the next generation step in and do the next steps that need to happen. Mm -hmm. and, and so for me, that, that's when that became really clear to me. It's, it was like, okay, I, 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 I can do this now. And, and I think I felt Anna, is, it's okay, Mom, now, this is what I wanted right. you to do. Right, you did, you did good. You yeah. did good, Mom. Yeah. You can yeah. give the baton to yeah. other people. Exactly, exactly. And, and cheer and come to watch and yes. share your voice and your story. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It, it really, it's... It's an amazing journey to think about 
all that 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 journey entailed and all that's still left for that race for for lots of other people to join in yes. with any thoughts on what you want to see happen next maybe a little bit shorter than you know the 14 16 years right, right. Um, well i'm really heartened that the eating disorders coalition continues to work really hard out in washington dc and um, really working on really important legislation, including making sure that people in the military have access to eating disorder treatment, which has been a really big problem. Um, working with the Office of Women's Health to make sure that the provisions in the Anna Weston Act are actually um, um, put into, a, in, into, into effect. And so I think there's still lots of really good work going on. I, I think that I'll take this opportunity to, to urge people, anybody that's hearing this, to really recognize that, that each individual voice is so important and that it's important to get those messages out there. It's important for your own physical and mental health to, to have a voice and to be able to use that in a positive direction. Because we know with eating disorders, Oftentimes, it's such a negative voice that's telling you you're worthless and nothing you have to say is, is valuable to anybody. And that's just so not true. Um, and so I, for me, I want to see all those initiatives moving forward. I, I, I want to see that the work we're doing with, with all to train um, coaches and physicians and other people that have this contact with younger people to really know what to say and to how to how to really help people that are struggling with eating disorders, and I also feel really strongly about making sure that caregivers have the tools that they need to um, support the person they love and to get the support they need um, as well. And so I'm and I'm really encouraged. I mean, I think there's moments that I get discouraged that I think we're going backwards, and in, in some ways we are. Um, I would encourage everybody to get involved politically this year. We all have to, and I'm not going to tell anybody how to vote, but know the issues, talk to the candidates, find out where they stand on mental health issues, um, and, and vote and get your neighbors and friends to vote. And um, that is a huge um, important thing right now because yeah, so we important. could stand to keep losing ground. And we can't, we can't afford that. Lives depend on us moving forward, not backwards. Critical. We use our voices. And I, I want to highlight something you said in addition to get out and vote, absolutely, that they, it's, you know, when, when you went to Washington the first time and, it, you know, there wasn't the Internet or cell phones or apps that are so easy to contact your congressperson or senator mm -hmm. now, uh, that, that it is much easier and I think sometimes advocacy feels so overwhelming to people or I have to go really far to do it or I don't know what to say and it really is as easy as going to the eating disorders coalition eating coalition.org looking at the little link you can click and it just sends something to your cell phone and all you have to do is put in your zip code and then it does it for you it's such a cool <laughs> thing now and I, I love that we can do that now because We've heard we've heard the story a, a hundred times on the hill, right? That if if when we're in those offices on the hill, 
they tell us that if 30 people bring up an issue, if they get 30 phone calls or 30 emails about something, which seems like, you know, you and I could find 28 friends to send some voicemails and emails to to offices on the Hill to say that we are concerned about these issues and we want something to happen, that that's, we can really make a difference just by sending a text or sending an email. So I think it's really important to encourage people that it, yes. it's not it's not hard. It is easy, and, and there's all kinds of ways to do advocacy, including showing up in an office in Washington, D.C. and telling your story, which is so critical. And it can be as easy as just a simple text and getting a bunch of your friends right. to send that same text because right. it does make a difference. I want to highlight it's that. Vitally it's vitally so important. important. And, and it's really fun to do. Yeah. I think one of the things that everybody that participates in any of those advocacy things, whether it's doing it on your phone or showing up or doing it in the state offices or however they do it, people feel really good about it. Even if the meetings haven't gone well or you didn't get the response that you'd hoped for, because right. we recognize that that's not going to always happen, there's something that is um, really gratifying in I'm, I'm trying. I'm yeah. trying to be part of the solution. Yeah. And and everybody, you know, can do whatever part they can. And, and like you said, Jillian, everybody can't take the time and effort, the dollars to, to go out to Washington. Um, and everybody can use the app on the cell phone and communicate with their member what they believe in. And that it does, I, th I think that mentality that my voice doesn't matter and it doesn't count and nobody's listening and, and it's not going to make any difference anyway. Um, I don't know how we've been brainwashed to believe that. And, and I learned that just by doing. Right. And I think you learned it just yep. by doing. Um, that, that we just have to, to get that out of our heads that no, every, every voice. Yep. And, and so what you were saying is that you and I can easily each get 28 of our friends. Everybody that's listening, think right. of the impact of that. Right. Incredible. Every, everybody is going to get 28 of their friends and call their members. And then they do take that to the, to the member themselves and says, we need to pay attention to this. Our constituents care about this. That's how it gets done. Yeah, absolutely. That's that that's, grassroots advocacy yep. that is the most powerful part of, kind of advocacy. Yeah, it's how change happens. It's mm -hmm. a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. So if you're interested, eatingdisorderscoalition.org, check it out. You can easily sign up and learn about what's on the Hill right now, what's moving. There's some really exciting, interesting initiatives that would continue to change the world for people. Uh, one, one step of that relay race at a time. Mm -hmm. So for the last question. You're known really around the world. I know you're very humble about that, but she is known around <laughs> the world. Um, you've talked to so many people, so many loved ones of people who are struggling right now. Somebody's listening right now who's a parent or a loved one of somebody with an eating disorder. They're struggling. What would you say to them? What words of wisdom can you share with them to help ease that burden and to help them move ahead? You're not alone. There are wonderful resources. I care. Jillian cares. There's there's people that around the world that that really care about and will walk with you on this path and will give you as much guidance as much help. Reach out. Don't try to do this alone. It it it's really impossible to do alone, and never give up, and keep persistence yeah. and tenacity. Um, they are things that, that I think 
they're part of human nature and sometimes they get buried and lots of times the eating disorder will want those things buried and to find that deep within yourself and never never give up absolutely well thank you so much for sharing your time with us today thank you on behalf of the field for all that you've done over the last 20 years with all of those other people that have worked so hard it's really appreciated and you really have taken a, a tragedy and turned it into an amazing legacy that i know anna would be proud of thank you if you've enjoyed today's podcast please subscribe rate or leave us a review on apple podcast or wherever you listen if you'd like to learn more about the emily program or what we do visit emilyprogram.com you can also find us on facebook twitter instagram all at emily program piecemeal is produced by angie mitchell and nancy linden with music by dan forkey <laughs>